that, uh, the, that God the Father has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into our world to live the life we ought to have lived, to die the death we deserve to die. And so as we confess our sins and turn to Him, we have the forgiveness of our sins. Our guilt is taken from us. That's our hope, our joy, our comfort as we worship our God this morning. Having then heard God's good promises, let's now open God's Word that He would speak to us this morning. Our reading comes first from 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter 3, we'll read verses 8 through 22. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil." Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior... In Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water." Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So far from 1 Peter 3, let's also turn back now in our Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Our, our text is going to come from Colossians 4, but every now and then it's good to go back to chapter 1 so we remember uh, what this, this beautiful letter is all about. So we'll read Colossians 1, the verses 1 through 14. Paul 
Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love that you have, that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So far uh, from Colossians 1. And now finally we'll turn to Colossians 4. And we'll read just verses 2 through 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So far from the Word of God. Uh, as we reflect on what we've read, let's sing together from Psalm 86, stanzas 3 and 4. The text to which we want to give our attention this morning is verses 5 and 6 of Colossians 4. Uh, Just two verses. I'll read them again so they may be uh, firmly in our minds. Colossians 4, verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So far, the Word of God. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, as we've been working our way through Colossians, uh, we've, we've begun to observe, hopefully by now, that we're getting closer and closer to the end. And as we do that, what we find are Paul's, as it were, his last words to the Colossian church. And usually, your last words are the things that you want to be ringing in the reader's ears uh, before you say goodbye. The things you want them to remember as the most important things. Uh, So last week, we looked at an exhortation to prayer. 
In his final words, he, he says, be steadfast, be constant in prayer. And don't forgive, he adds, to give, uh, excuse me, don't forget to, to add uh, thanks, to, to give thanks to God. And so he encourages us to be a praying church. God calls us to prayer uh, because prayer is how we lean on him. Uh, prayer is the means by which he does mighty things in us and, and through us. Uh, so Paul leaves us with that exhortation. And then he also had two specific prayer requests, if you remember that from a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Two requests for the Colossian church. Number one, that they would pray for him, uh, that God would open doors of opportunity uh, for him to preach the gospel. Uh, and, and secondly, that, uh, that God would give him clarity uh, as he did so. Give him boldness, as, as he says in Ephesians, or clarity, as he says here in Colossians. Uh, so those are his two specific prayer requests. Well, in the verses that we now turn to this morning, verses 5 and 6, Paul now turns the, the question around to us. He says, okay, I've asked you now to pray for me as the apostle uh, called to go out and do mission work, evangelism to the Gentiles. Uh, now I want to turn it around to you. How do you handle the opportunities that God gives to you uh, to share the gospel? How do you as Christians relate to unbelievers, and how do you create opportunities to bring the gospel to them? That's what these verses are all about. That's what we want to then think about this morning. How do we, as Christians, relate to the individuals around us, to the world around us, that doesn't know Christ? Uh, And are we? Are we a people that create opportunities to share with them the most important truth? You see how much Paul highlights that here in Colossians. There's there's nothing more important than the truth of Christ. How do we create opportunities to share that most important truth uh, with them? Uh, Now, we want to be taking this word from the Apostle Paul seriously, with a sense of urgency, considering especially the, the sacrifices that Paul was making in that same mission, uh, being in prison, having been much afflicted, and yet asking for prayer that he might have more opportunities to share the gospel. So we want to hear this uh, from him with that kind of, of heart. And I also want to say something uh, briefly about our responsibility here. Uh, people will sometimes object when we speak of evangelism that uh, evangelism is something that God gives uh, either, number one, more broadly to the church as a whole, as opposed to individuals, or specifically to, to individuals who are called as evangelists, given a special ordained calling. Uh, both of those things are true. Uh, the, the call to evangelism is given to the church, and specifically to individuals charged with the call to evangelize. It isn't a, a command from Jesus to every individual Christian, you must go and evangelize, so that, as, as I, I hear sometimes, some people will say, if you haven't done evangelism this past week, you're disobeying Christ. Well, no, that's, that's not true. You won't find any such command in Scripture where you individually are called to do evangelism. Uh, So you're not in disobedience. I'm not going to lay a burden on you that's greater than than what Christ himself lays upon you. Uh, You're not in disobedience if you haven't shared the gospel in the last week. That being said, 
You are, as Christians, called to promote the gospel. You may not be called as an evangelist to to go out door to door or however it be to share the gospel, but you are called to promote the gospel and to be salt and light in the world. Those are the metaphors that Christ himself uses. You are salt. You are the salt of the earth. You are a light set upon a hill. Uh, People should be able to to taste that salt and to see that light. Uh, it uh, It should be there such that people can perceive it. Uh, Paul also speaks this way in uh, Philippians, for example. He he talks about uh, Christians as shining like stars in the firmament in in the darkness all around them. Uh, That that light should be noticeable. And we just read from 1 Peter as well, where God gives you opportunity, where non-believers will ask you about your faith, you should be prepared to give an account for the hope that you have. Now, that's, that's from First Peter 3. And you could think about the question even more broadly. Instead of asking the question, you know, do we have to? You sort of sense that's the wrong question to ask. It's what's the heart uh, that we're called to have? What's the heart we're called to have? Um, it, it may not be a specific command that we have to, to go out and, and make sure that we evangelize you know, this many people uh, in the next week. But what's the heart that we are to have towards those who are lost in darkness as we ourselves once were? That's the heart that Paul is calling us uh, to have. A heart that cares for those who had as little hope as we had before Christ reached out and, and, and took us into his kingdom. Uh, the heart of Paul is the heart of the Lord Jesus here. Seeing sinners stumbling in darkness, uh, in rebellion against God, heading towards an eternity of judgment. And, and Jesus, having laid down his life, uh, gone out of his way, stepped out of the glories of heaven to come into our, our, our dirty, stinky, smelly world, uh, having gone down here to lay down his life for sinners, that's the, the same heart uh, of Paul that you find, and that's the heart that Paul would have us bear as well. A heart that cares about the lost, a heart that wants to share the gospel as God gives opportunity. Uh, Every human being will live forever, either in the presence of God in glory or in eternal judgment. Uh, Your neighbors will live forever. Your colleagues will live forever. Uh, the, The people that you meet on the street or in the grocery store will live forever. And they will live either forgiven, reconciled, brought into joy with Christ, or condemned to eternal torment, to outer darkness, to utter loneliness. We should have a heart. Knowing that that's who we were, we should have a heart that cares for them as well. Uh, So Paul's heart here is a heart of compassion. And it's the heart of the Lord Jesus. And it's the heart of God the Father. A God who looked down on an unworthy people and sent his son in the first place to save them. It's the heart of God who, as, as scripture says, desires that no one should perish, but everyone reach repentance. A heart that cares even for those who are going to be eternally condemned. He desires that no one should perish. 
And he would have that be our desire as well, our heart as well towards the law. So he urges us here uh, to think about how do you use the time, given that it's short, how do you make the most of it in order to make some impact, some difference on the lives of those who do not know Christ. Uh, So he urges us here, think about how we use the time to reach individuals whom God places into our lives. Uh, So we turn to those verses again. Verse 5, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Uh, That's that's simply a way of referring to non-Christians, those who are outside the church. It's not a very uh, politically correct term anymore. You can't say outsiders because people feel excluded. Uh, And yet that's that's what it is. It's those who are outside the church. Uh, Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. Uh, the first thing we should observe here is that Paul is talking about creating opportunities, uh, where he says, make the best use of the time. He's talking about creating opportunities to share the gospel. Uh, he says uh, almost the same thing in his letter to, to the Ephesians in chapter 5, where he Uh, He he says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. And then he adds, because the days are evil. In other words, because we live in the last times, because uh, people will go one of two directions, make the most of the time. Live live within an awareness uh, that our lives here on earth are short, that God's judgment is real, and it is coming, and after it, there will be no further opportunity for repentance and forgiveness. Live with that awareness and make the best use of the time. Hebrews 9 verse 27 reminds us, It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. That should cause us to have a concern, a compassion, a heart of compassion for those who are under that judgment. Uh, so if we're going to have the heart of God, uh, which is a heart of compassion for lost sinners uh, that desires that they come to repentance, then we need to reckon with this reality that we have limited time to make an impact on their lives, to reach them with that hope of the gospel. Our time is limited. Uh, the reality is, uh, for, for many of us, as we think about this, the thought of, of going out and, and doing evangelism uh, can make us anxious. And I hope then, uh, as we explore this text, that it, it, it gives us this uh, reminder uh, that might ease some of those anxieties that our time is limited. We will only be able to do so much, so count the days you have and do what God allows you to do. Uh, don't, don't live with a burden that is bigger than the one that God has placed upon you. Uh, you won't be able to reach everyone with the hope of the gospel, but you might be able to create opportunities to reach some with the limited time that God has given you. Uh, so, so Christ is calling us here to consider the opportunities that God has given us to make the use, the best use of our time. Um, and I, I want to put it this way. Christ is calling us not just to use the opportunities we have, but to create opportunities uh, to, excuse me, to, to create opportunities 
wherein, uh, within which we will be able to share the gospel. So it's not just use the opportunities you have, but create opportunities from which you can then go and share the gospel. Uh, put yourself in a position where there will be opportunities. Uh, don't just say, well, here's the ones I have, and so this is what I have to work with, but what opportunities might I yet be able to create? Uh, given my situation, how can I put myself in a place where opportunities will appear? As we think about this, we want to remember how gracious God has been towards us. Uh, that's the whole message, right, of the book of Colossians. How good, how gracious God has been towards us. Uh, back in chapter 1, we just read it. You who were alienated from God and hostile to Him, doing evil deeds, God delivered from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of His Son. That is God's amazing grace. Uh, that's amazing grace that you and I have never earned or deserved. And if, if we then know how good, how gracious God has been towards us, that should encourage us to reflect, to imitate that grace as we go out building opportunities simply to share God's goodness and God's grace. So I've been thinking through this myself, even as I've been working on this sermon uh, over the past week. Uh, what opportunities stand before me? It can sometimes be challenging to, to reach out to outsiders, uh, especially for us as, as a Canadian Reformed Church where we don't spend a whole lot of time, uh, most of us anyway, with outsiders. Many of us go to a Christian school or are homeschooled, and then we work for someone within the church, and we spend almost all of our time within the church, which, which limits our opportunities to, to, to reach those who are outside. And yet the reality is, they are all around us. We may not have much contact with them where we stand now, but they're all around us. What opportunities might we be able as a church to create and as individuals to create? I thought for myself, uh, how many of us use Kijiji? Uh, this is... Uh, my wife and our, our addicts, um, if, if someone can get us help for that, uh, we, we may need that. Um, but certainly we, we use it very heavily. Um, there, in something as simple as that, there are opportunities, aren't there, to, to reach people with grace and with hope. Uh, opportunities to connect with a single mom uh, who, who might be, be selling some of her baby clothes or opportunities to connect with someone who's just gone through a divorce and they're selling uh, some of their furniture or with someone who's, who's struggling to, to, to raise little toddlers who've now just grown out of their, uh, their baby clothes uh, or someone who just had a stroke and, and can no longer ride that bicycle and so they're selling it to you. Every one of those are examples that I've experienced just in the last uh, couple of years. Uh, th those are, so those are real people. And some of those, as I look back, there were opportunities that I connected with and capitalized upon. And there were others that, as I look back, hey, I missed an opportunity there. There was, there was a chance there to share hope, to share love, to share grace uh, that was missed. What opportunities might God be giving to you as well? The reality is, people are living all around us, dealing with most of the same things 
that we as Christians also must deal with uh, here in, in this world, raising their kids, um, or in, in some cases wishing that they had children, uh, paying off their mortgages, uh, you know, saving up for that down payment in a market that just keeps getting higher. These are things we can relate to. Uh, some of them have the same hobbies as well, hunting, uh, fishing. Uh, people around us enjoy those hobbies as much as any of us here in the church do, or playing sports, or brewing beer, whatever it might be, there are opportunities there to connect with those who might share some of those same hobbies. Now, of course, there are going to be parts of our lifestyle that don't connect, things that we don't share, interests we don't share uh, with with unbelievers. Uh, But making the best opportunity uh, recognizes there are things that we do have in common, opportunities that are before us if we're willing to to take them. Uh, So how might we be deliberate in saying, I want to put myself in a place where those conversations, where those opportunities, those relationships are going to form? But if I don't put myself there then I won't have opportunities to, to, to share the gospel. So that's the first thing we want to recognize. Having the heart of Christ towards sinners means being deliberate about going out of our way to create opportunities to share the gospel of Christ. Uh, and recognizing then, many of those opportunities are right in front of us if we're willing to step out into them. Uh, many of them are, are right there, and God works through those means as we step into their lives, as we invite them into our lives, as we share our hobbies, or, or even just as we have a grace-filled conversation. We'll get to that uh, later on in this text. Even as we just share love, share grace with them, God works through those opportunities as we're willing to embrace them. Uh, Now, once we're conscious of those opportunities, there are two main things here that Paul would have us consider, and that's our walk and our talk. Uh, So, Paul says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Uh, When the Bible talks about walking, of course, it's not referring to to literally uh, walking, but it's referring to a way of living. Uh, so you could translate this just as well uh, as, as live wisely before unbelievers or conduct yourselves wisely. Uh, you might remember, in fact, that this was Paul's prayer for the Colossian church uh, all the way back in, in chapter 1, uh, verse 9. He says, So from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Well, that's what Paul is talking about here, where he says, walk wisely or walk in wisdom before unbelievers. Uh, the point is that, that our way of life would match our profession of faith, that our way of life would match our profession of faith, uh, so that our lives would be characterized by a spiritual wisdom uh, that is oriented towards Jesus Christ, filled with good fruit, and visible to those around us. So walk in wisdom so that your life would be oriented towards Christ, would show the fruits of wisdom, and would be seen by those outside. Uh, Several months ago, 
when we looked at those verses back in chapter 1, uh, we, saw, we, we spent some time thinking about wisdom, uh, this concept of wisdom. And we saw that wisdom, if you want to give it a definition, is seeing things as they really are and then knowing how to live in light of that. I don't know if you remember that uh, definition, but seeing things as they really are and knowing how to act accordingly. That's wisdom. And so gospel wisdom is seeing your identity in Christ, seeing the grace of God in Christ as it really is, and then knowing how to live in light of that, knowing how to live uh, out of that grace. Uh, and, and so it, it means then forsaking things that are perishing. Gospel wisdom says, hey, this is perishing. I don't want any part in that. I forsake it. Uh, it it's leaving behind a, an old way of life, uh, things for which the wrath of God is coming. Paul mentions this on at least one occasion in this letter. There are things for which the wrath of God is coming. We, we leave those behind. Uh, and it means pursuing the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, uh, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. All of those are living out of the grace of God. Uh, so when Paul says here, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, what it really comes down to is, see the grace of God for what it is and know how to live in light of that in front of unbelievers. See the grace of God for what it is. Know how to live in light of that before unbelievers. And the thing about wisdom is that wisdom is inherently beautiful. Wisdom is inherently beautiful. James 3 verse 17 says, The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Isn't there something inherently beautiful and attractive about that kind of wisdom? Uh, and even though the world persecutes Christians for, for having the gospel, for sharing the gospel, uh, yet our Lord teaches us to let the world see our good deeds, and He says, they will give glory to your Father in heaven. There's something inherently beautiful, respectable, and desirable in gospel-shaped wisdom. Uh, so that's Paul's first exhortation to us. After we've made the best use of the time, we've created opportunities, his first exhortation is now, now live in wisdom before unbelievers. Uh, let them see a winsome and beautiful way of life that flows out of the grace of God. Uh, secondly, Paul talks about our, our speech in verse 6. So it's walking and talking. Now let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Uh, what I want to emphasize here in this instruction is, is simply how, how simple and beautiful this instruction is uh, with respect to our call to witness. He doesn't say, come up with a master plan for evangelism. He doesn't say, here's a, you know, a thousand page booklet that will teach you how to evangelize. He simply says, uh, let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, 
so that you may know how you, how you ought to answer each person. Uh, so we're called to, to wise and careful living, that's our walk, and to gracious speaking, just speech that's filled with grace. Uh, he says, let your speech be seasoned with salt. Uh, some of you may be wondering, what's up with that? Uh, seasoning our speech with salt. Well, that might sound uh, strange initially, but if you think about it, uh, he, he's working off of what Christ the Lord taught all of us, that we are to be the salt of the earth. Uh, uh, and Jesus' point there is, is that salt is what makes something savory, what makes something good. Food that is otherwise bland is made good, savory, delicious, with a little bit of, of salt. And that's what Jesus' disciples are to be in the world. That's what we are to be, a salt in the earth, an influence for good, a people that bring life, that bring flavor into a world that is otherwise very bland and flavorless. And many of you know this. As you have relationships with unbelievers, if you're looking with wisdom at their life, you recognize it's an unsavory life. It's a bland life. Um, yes, there may be exciting things. Uh, if they have more money than us, they may travel more. They may do things that on first appearance seem exciting, but underneath it, it's bland. It's empty. There's, there's nothing there. We are called to be salt. Relationship with God brings flavor and life into the world because that's what we were created for. Be the salt of the earth. That's what Paul then is, is, is working off of. And he here says, let your speech, specifically your words, be seasoned with salt. Let them bring life and flavor and goodness into the lives of unbelievers who are estranged from God. Uh, let your speech do good to them. Uh, let the words you speak then be overflowing with grace that points ultimately to the grace of of God, How can your words show the grace of God? Let your words be useful, giving something good to those who hear them. Uh, Paul says elsewhere in, in Ephesians, uh, let, let no corrupting talk, that's talk that degrades, that denigrates, that destroys or distorts. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but rather uh, let all that you, that you say give grace to those who hear. Uh, so let your words, specifically in relation with unbelievers, let your words bring life. Let your words point uh, to, to, to the grace of God. Let your words show wisdom that comes out of living in light of the grace of God. Let your words give life. Let your words be honorable. You think of Paul's instructions to uh, the Philippians in Philippians 4 verse 8 where he says, Finally, my brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, he says, think about these things. Well, if that's true, then you might say the same is true of uh, the, the instruction, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, etc., speak about those things with those around you. Speak about what is good. If that's true, what we think about, that should be all the more true in what we speak about. Let our speech enrich the lives of those who hear. Um, so another way to, to, to summarize this instruction is simply be intentional about 
being a source of hope, life, joy, and godly perspective in the lives of those around you. Be intentional about being a source of hope, life, joy, and godly perspective so that, uh, so that as they speak with you, they would come to learn something and see something about Christ. I want to encourage you with this, brothers and sisters, because I myself feel very encouraged by this. Uh, We don't need a master plan of evangelism. Uh, And and sometimes this is what makes us feel so inadequate. I don't know how to evangelize. We think, I just don't know how to share the gospel. And we worry that it, then if we, if we try it anyways, because we feel like a certain guilt to do it anyways, uh, that we're not going to know how to answer their questions, and we're just going to feel like a fraud. Uh, that, that often keeps us from, doing, uh, from, from sharing the grace of God with others. Uh, well, yeah, it might happen. You don't know the answers, but you're not called to know all of the answers. There's no shame in, in not knowing an answer. There's no shame in saying, hey, I don't know, but I can sure find out. There's no shame in that. And, and our neighbors and colleagues, they already know. They already know that you don't know all the answers. That's not going to come as a surprise to them. Uh, they're, they're not under any illusions about the fact that you don't know, how, uh, you don't know all the answers. Half the time, they, they're wondering why you don't know how to cut the grass. Uh, they know you don't know everything. Uh, that's, that's not what Paul is saying, that you need to know everything, but rather let your speech be filled with grace. Uh, what Paul is saying then is that grace is essential to knowing how to answer each person. If you know grace, then you know how to answer. Uh, that's, that's the connection he draws. So you might not have all the answers. You might have to ask for a chance to get back to someone, but the key to, to effective gospel witnessing is knowing the grace of God. If you know the grace of God and you're living in light of that, your speech will also be filled with grace. And that's what Paul calls us to. Uh, So if we live in that daily awareness of the things that we've learned here in Colossians, that we are sinners bought by the grace of God, transferred from the old kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of, of Christ, and we know how big that is, what big news that is, and we live in light of that, we will have the grace to then witness with compassion to those around us. Uh, here we also want to understand that when we're called to speak with grace, that does not mean we have to give up truth. Sometimes people hold grace and truth like they're, like they're polar opposites. Either I'm a grace Christian or I'm a truth Christian. As if they're, they're opposites. They're not opposites. Uh, when, when you look at Christ, you see both. That's, uh, the, the Gospel of John uh, makes a point of bringing that together in Christ. In John 1 verse 14, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of Grace and truth. Christ brings grace and truth together. Uh, Speaking with grace does not mean foregoing our responsibility to speak truth. We speak truth, but we do it with grace. Uh, Paul, or or Peter, when he speaks of uh, giving a, a defense of your faith, always be ready to give an account of the faith you have, he, he, he adds a little paraphrase. I don't know if you saw it or noticed it, but he adds a little uh, parenthesis uh, afterwards. Uh, he says, so always be ready to, to give an account of the hope you have, 
Yet do it, he says, respectfully. Do it respectfully. Uh, Give truth with grace. Grace and truth come together in Christ, and they ought to come together in all of Christ's disciples. That people can see in us, uh, we speak the truth, but we do it with an amazing amount of grace. And that's as we imitate Christ. The word of Christ is unflinchingly true. As we've sat under the catechism and and explored what Scripture teaches us about our sin, uh, we recognize the word of of Christ is unflinchingly true, sometimes painfully true. And yet, uh, he, he speaks truth with so much grace. He calls out our sin and then promises to walk alongside us as we deal with our sin. Uh, he, he, he warns us of judgment, and yet he reminds us of grace. Uh, he speaks truth and grace. And that's what Paul exhorts us then to bear in mind in all of our speaking. It is to be gracious, seasoned with salt, being life-giving, truthful, and full of mercy. And here's the heart of it then. Uh, the uh, personal evangelism happens within grace-filled relationships. That's the heart of it. Personal evangelism happens within grace-filled relationships. The opportunities that we're called to look for, as well as create, as God gives us those opportunities, those are opportunities for relationships in which we will be able to show the wisdom of God in our lives, in our walk, and to speak the grace of God in our talk. Uh, To put it another way then, uh, we are called in the first place uh, to something as simple as loving the lost sinners around us. It's really that simple in in what we're called to do. Love the lost sinners uh, with whom God gives us opportunity to develop relationships. Care about them. Listen to them. And and then as the opportunities come, speak words of grace, words of life, words of healing into their lives. They suffer as we suffer, but they suffer without hope. Uh, speak hope, speak grace as you speak truth into into their lives. Uh, so it means then inviting them into your lives. And it means being willing to be invited into their lives. Uh, Don't be afraid. Don't set up walls that keep you from being able to speak the grace of God to those around you. The heart, then, of of the evangelistic culture that that we are called to develop as Christians uh, is, is relationships and not primarily programs. Relationships, not primarily programs. And now, don't hear me wrong on this. I'm not saying that programs are, are wrong, uh, they are a good thing, but they exist to create or to capitalize upon relationships that, that exist, um, to either create relationships or to capitalize on those that exist. Um, they cannot exist, programs in the church cannot exist as a substitute for 
God-given, or God, God-filled, grace-filled relationships with unbelievers. Programs will never substitute those. Uh, very rarely do people come to faith and come to the church uh, by simply walking through the doors of the church because there was a program uh, being, being held. Uh, almost always, people come to faith and come to the church because of relationships that already exist. Uh, I've had the privilege of seeing this in our mission context, uh, particularly in Brazil. Uh, I asked one of the members uh, at one time, um, you know, where do these people all come from? How do they come into the church? What causes the church to grow? And he said, there's two kinds of people that, that come to church. Some are just people from the neighborhood who walk in because they wonder what's going on. Um, and they typically don't stay. He said, the people that stay are those who for a long time knew someone who was going to the church, saw a change in them, and then finally after a year, two years, sometimes five years said, I want to go and see what that church is about. It's people that have relationships with Christians that come and stay in the church. The church grows then when, when men and women hear the voice of Christ through the preaching of the gospel, in the context of relationships with those uh, within the church. Uh, So what Paul is urging us to do then is is not only walk wisely, and not only speak, uh, speak graciously, but in the first place, as we look for those opportunities, build relationships where they can see you walking wisely, where they can hear you speaking graciously. Uh, I want to give another uh, final word of encouragement here. Uh, as Paul urges us to create opportunities to build these uh, relationships, uh, that certainly is our calling, but we also recognize it will only bear fruit and people will only come to Christ if God in the first place works in them. Uh, no one will come to Christ unless God speaks to them through his own Holy Spirit. Uh, John 6, verse 37, the Lord Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. What that means is we don't need to live with the responsibility for the response of those who, uh, who, who, to whom we speak grace and before whom we walk wisely. How they respond to that is their responsibility, and if they respond well, it will be Christ's work through his Spirit. That's not a burden that you have to bear. Uh, that, that should be freeing for us. You're not responsible for how people will respond to the gospel, but you are responsible for caring about them such that they might have opportunity to hear the gospel. Uh, so, so knowing that, that God is sovereign, that this, this happens under God's, uh, under God's power and God's spirit, it doesn't free us from the responsibility of bringing grace to them, but it does free us from the burden of, of feeling responsible for how they respond to that grace. Uh, so, so though we want to be persuasive, winsome, gracious, we don't have to bear that burden. Instead, we're simply called to pursue the opportunities that God gives us and pay attention to our walk and season our speech with grace. And the promise is that God will bless that. God will bless that. If we're faithful in that, God will bless that so that people do come to know the grace of God through you. And there is hardly a greater pleasure in the Christian life 
than seeing others come to the knowledge of the grace of God in you and, and through you in relationship with you. So, brothers and sisters, do, do consider your responsibility here. Learn from the heart of Paul, which is the heart of the Lord Jesus and the heart of God the Father, desiring that no one should perish. Have compassion, then, on those who are lost, those who are headed towards judgment, about to be lost forever. Uh, remember the grace that God has shown you, how undeserving you were, how dependent you are on His grace, and then let that spur you on to consider how you might give of your time, of your opportunities, and your energy to go out of your way to create relationships within which you might call others to know the same grace of God. Amen. Let's respond to God's word by singing from Psalm 87, stanzas 1 through 5.